ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. From the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, this is the Bowtie Chronicles podcast with your host, the 2022 Georgia Sports Writer of the Year, D. Orlando Ledbetter. Wow, that was awesome, guys. Thanks for uh, the surprise and appreciate uh, you all acknowledging the um, award from the National Sports Media Association. Thanks so much. We're going to get right into the Bowtie Chronicles podcast today, the 383rd episode of the Bowtie Chronicles podcast. This is D. Orlando Ledbetter of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. We're going to title this episode, A Look Back on the 2022 Season. Falcons went 7-10 and 10, uh, and we'll head into the offseason with a lot of money to spend in free agency as they continue to rebuild the team. They want to call it a transition. When you get rid of all the players, that's called rebuilding. And they only kept two. So it's been in stages. Uh, and now we're getting ready to hit another stage of the Falcons rebuild. Before we move on to that, we're going to uh, you know, spend this episode looking back on the season. We uh, talked to several players on the last day of the locker room. And uh, we had breaking news yesterday, too, as Dean Pease, the defensive coordinator, elected to retire after the season at the age of 73. So we're going to get right to Dean Pease. we got a lot today. Uh, we're going to hear from Dean Pease, Arno Ebicati, Casey Hayward, review the scores from 2022, look at some stats, and then go over the draft order. Going to take a break. We're going to come back and hear from Eric Harris, Lorenzo Carter, Young Way Koo, Jake Matthews. Then we're going to go over the free agency list, the off-season calendar, and we're going to get you ready for the playoffs this weekend. They're calling it Super Wild Card Weekend. So, um, you know, and the Falcons will, you know, be trying to make it back to the playoffs next year and in this five-year playoff drought. So let's get going here with Dean Pease on his decision to retire. Talked it over with my wife. We had a lot of long discussions, kind of made a list. Reasons to keep going, reasons to not keep going, and just kind of uh, really hashed it out and really talked about it for a while and um, and just came to the decision. I thought it was the, the right time. But there you have it, you know, very methodical response. He uh, made the list and decided to, uh, after talking with his wife, to retire. So he met with the team first, and this I thought was important. He wanted to see everybody face-to-face. That's real old school. He didn't want to shoot a text or do it on the Zoom. He wanted to look people in the eye and tell them he was retiring. Uh, he met with the team first and then with the defense. Here's what he told the team. I shared with the team the reasons why uh, I'm not coming back and that I am going to retire. Uh, but first of all, I told them the, the hardest decision was not seeing them and being around the team. I love this defense. Where they've come from the beginning of this year to where they are now, 
I've never had a defense do that. Um, in this last nine games, we've given up an average of 314 yards a game and 19.7 and points a game, which would be fifth in the NFL right now. Unfortunately, it's not the way it is because we played the first eight games and we weren't that way. But to know that a team can improve that much and has improved that much and was bought in that much is just really tremendous. I, I just can't say enough good things about him. All right, we know he had the incident down in New Orleans uh, where he got ran into by one of the players and they had to take him to the hospital. So we wanted to know when he thought he might retire. Not till the end, not till the very end. I, it wasn't like, it's just at some point in time, you just got to kind of sit down and say, okay, I told you I really usually reassess everything at the end of the season. And that's what I did. It was the end of the season. I told you last week when you guys asked me, I didn't lie to you. I told you I assessed it after the season. But the other part of that was that I think I also, I also know how this coaching carousel goes. And I don't know how many jobs we got open today, like five head coaching jobs, a couple coordinator jobs, all this kind of stuff. I also don't think it's fair to Coach Smith that I would hang on and say, okay, well, I'm going to take some time and think about this after the season. That's not fair. Make a decision so that he can make a decision. And that's the way it should work. You know, I, if you're a head coach and you're going to let somebody go, you got to let them go right after the season so they can go out and find another job. Well, it's the same thing if you're an assistant coach. You ought to tell the head coach if you're not coming back right away. So I felt like after the game, I didn't want, I wanted to have an opportunity too to address the players. And if all of a sudden everybody's out of the building after today, I'd have to do it through text or email. I want to actually tell them physically. I don't like texting. I don't like telling people over the phone. I want to tell you in person what I think and how I feel. And to me, that's the most genuine way to do it. And I've been that way with thousands of players that I've coached. You know, I want to tell them in person. I don't want to tell them by text or email or something else. So Mel and I just kind of decided over the weekend, right before the game, that um, let's make a decision. We did. And we know, you know, the um, starting the season off, uh, Dean Pease back in August was, you know, got into one of his rants and fits and, and went off on um, how he wanted to change the culture here in Atlanta about the defense uh, and how they'd only been ranked in the top ten uh, one time over the last 20 years. And sure enough, I looked it up. There was the 2017 team was the lone top 10 defense. So defense hadn't been a thing. That might have, uh, you know, partly why the Falcons don't have a Super Bowl title. They haven't been able to build out the defense during the Matt Ryan era to, um, you know, shut people down. And, you know, that haunted Dan Quinn too. You know, when he got to the Super Bowl, you know, when it was time to shut people down in the playoffs, Coach Smith teams weren't able to do it. Almost did it against Kaepernick and the 49ers. Uh, ended up on the six-yard line. And then, uh, you know, that was pretty much the end of their push. Then, uh, same thing with Dan Quinn. They ended up on the one-yard line in Philly. If they can't score and you can't stop people, uh, that's uh, not a winning formula. So, Coach Pease wanted to change the culture here and build out this defense. And we wanted to know if he thought the culture has changed since he got here. I think I think incredible. I attribute that to the coaches, you know, Coach Smith starting at the top, but especially the defensive coaches too. Everybody bought in. But players also bought in. 
and because you, you got to get them, you know, it was a different system than what they had, and so you got to get them to buy in. And that first year, they all bought in. I just don't think we had, we couldn't do a lot of the stuff that we really wanted to do because you got to learn it. It's, it's not an easy system. It's just not. It takes a while to, to learn it. And so, but then this last year at the beginning of the season, we just did some crazy things. They, they were much more in tune. I told you that during training camp. I told you I, that someday I want this defense to be talked about like the other defenses that I've been around. And now I think they are that. I mean, I really believe one of the things I, I wanted to achieve, personal goal, was that I, every place I've been, I've had a top 10 defense. And I wanted to have a top 10 defense now here. And now I think there is a top 10 defense. They were the second half of the year. This was a top 10 defense. And so I feel good about that. And I just, the, the progress that they've made, I mean, it, every week I go back into that room, even if we lost a tough one, because we lost a bunch of tough ones here down the stretch, all by three points, four points, whatever. I mean, it takes a toll on you. You just get tired of watching that score up there, and there's the three-point difference, and you had a chance to maybe win the game on one player or the other. And that takes a toll. But these guys come back in there on Wednesday, and when I talk to them or have a signal callers meeting, here we go again, and bought right into what we wanted to do. And it just really paid paid off. And like I say, I just I couldn't be prouder of that group of men. All right, now the Falcons, um, you know, they said they're going to do a wide search for this uh, defensive coordinator position. It's going to be, uh, you know, there are Rooney rules for, for the coordinators now, so – we just, you know, think that if you just hire the best candidate, uh, you, you'll comply with those rules and so forth. So, uh, you know, the best possible coach, you know, not just your buddy, the best person for the job uh, should be interviewed and should, should land the job. I'm sure Coach Arthur Smith's going to do that. You know, Frank Bush took over for Dean Pease when he was, uh, he was ailed um, in New Orleans. And then also a name to keep an eye on is Jerry Gray. You know, we'll hear some more names here in the coming weeks. We'll talk to Coach and uh, Coach and General Manager Terry Fontenot on Wednesday, and we'll um, we're gonna have a special edition of the Bowtie Chronicles later this week, uh, coming out of that meeting with the um, GM and the coach on the future of the team. But let's move on to uh, Arnold Ebikati, one of the rookies, on what he learned from Dean Pease. It was very important for my growth as a player, you know, just soaking up all the knowledge I possibly could. Uh, leaving college, a lot of things that we didn't do in terms of uh, being in coverage or understanding the game over as a whole. I think just getting that knowledge and that experience is just going to help me moving forward as a player. All right, Eber Katie flashed at times last year, then he broke his wrist, and then we didn't see him out there. Uh, but he wants to be a three-down player. And uh, we talked to him about the defense building a foundation. It is a young defense. Yeah, I think it comes down to the culture that we build. Uh, if you look at most of the games this year, it was very close. It's just a matter of following those footsteps going into next year. And next year when we are in those close games, we'll be able to, uh, to finish those games, actually win those games. So it comes down to the culture. And I think leading up to next year, uh, we're going to be a much better team. All right, Casey Hayward, he wants to come back next year. He, uh, you know, he played right corner, and uh, they were doing pretty good. Darren Hall had to replace him. He didn't do too good. He ended up the season on the scout team. Uh, Cornell Armstrong ended the season as the starting corner over there. So, you know, it's uh, kind of a deal if he's got another year left and uh, won't cost him too much, but 
uh, Casey Hayward is, you know, former pro bowler and so forth, and certainly would help if they could get that corner situation taken care of. And you never have too many cornerbacks. We saw that in Cincinnati when, <laughs> when they roll out them three receivers. But Casey Hayward, here's what he had to say on Dean Pease's retirement. Congrats to Dean, man. He's been doing it for a long time, man. Played against coach some good defenses, some of probably the best defenses ever. Coach some of the Hall of Famers, some of the best defensive players ever. And um, he's done an amazing job since he's been here, man. So I want to give him his flowers, you know, as he goes off into the, you know, the sunset, man. I'm just, you know, happy for him, proud of him, and glad I got to play for, you know, a year on the piece. And here is Casey on if he wants to play for the Falcons next season. Yes, for, for sure, I do. But, you know, it, you know, this is a business, so I know right. how that kind of goes. But, like, I'm from Georgia. I got a house here, so it probably definitely I feel like it will be a lot better, especially on defense and as a team. I know I think that'll, that's, that'll be the case. I feel like it will be a lot better, and hopefully I can be a part of that. But if not, like I say, I know I want to play next year. All right, let's go on to I want to review the scores from the season here. The uh, seven and ten campaign, uh, you know, everything started in bad fashion with a 27-26 loss to New Orleans on uh, September the 11th. You know, the Falcons had the lead and, and blew that one. They went out to play the defending Super Bowl champions, got behind, and then came in, came in hot, closed it to a 31-27 loss. We didn't know the defending Super Bowl champs would not be making the playoffs at that time. Stayed out west, stayed in Seattle, and uh, that was a that seemed like a long time ago, but that was a fun trip. And the um, pulled off a shocker over a playoff team and beat the Seattle Seahawks twenty-seven to twenty-three. Uh, late uh, interception by Richie Grant out there. Same thing next week. Beat the Cleveland Browns twenty-three to twenty. I rode in the game, you know, just wrapping up the season. You know, it was a lot of bizarre things that happened. One was Cleveland week. Fortunately, Miles Garrett's okay, but uh, he he dodged a deer that week and wasn't able to play against the Falcons. So, uh, you know, they they got some. That was a a, a deer kind of helped them out this year. It went down to Tampa Bay, and that was this was crazy too. It was just crazy games this year. The twenty-one fifteen lost to Tampa. That'll be remembered as the unnecessary roughness game where Grady sacked Tom Brady, and the refs were offended <laughs> and threw a flag. So that's the only thing I could come up with. Uh, but I saw Joshua Dobbs roll out and get like pummeled, uh, no flag. So, but he did. He, once you get out the pocket, it's all off, all games off there. But Brady. Grady leveled Brady. That was a good one, and that was that game. And then uh, San Francisco. This was probably the highlight of the season for the Falcons. I don't think San Francisco has lost since, uh, but they beat them 28-14 to at home. It's a big win for the Falcons. Then uh, Cincinnati, you know, they were they're riding high at this point. They're 3-3. Three and three. Everybody's predicting 1-5. It was just, hey, if you can get through those first six games – um, you know, then you could start talking about, you know, the future. And so they, they, they got uh, through them three and three as opposed to uh, one and six, which is what a lot of people thought. But then went up to Cincinnati and had to face reality. 
The defending AFC champs uh, ran him up out of the stadium. Fine, it could have been much worse, but it was thirty-five to seventeen. Okay, came, and then they could have um, they come back home and play the Carolina Panthers. Should have lost the game. They um, won this miraculous heave from PJ Walker that uh, got called by DJ Moore. DJ Moore pulls his helmet off and uh, you know pushes back the extra point. He misses it. Falcons go to overtime and win. So, um, you know, they blew the Saints game, but they got a gift game back from Carolina. So, you know, football gods even it out over the course of the season. Chargers game, that was a tough one, 2017. They got it won. Tyquan Graham's running up the field on a fumble fumble. Um, you know, Drake London had a fumble there too. So, you know, you got to take care of the ball. Just the funny way the ball bounced this year. Uh, then the Carolina, they went up there, and, you know, that's where we kind of started seeing the end of the Marcus Mariota era or stopgap time. The uh, stop, drop, and roll pass was outstanding. <laughs> we, looked, we looked around at each other. It was like, what was that? But, uh, yeah, he, was, he, he, he served a purpose. Uh, you know, didn't want to be demoted. He was, and then he left the team, so – uh, not not after this game. It would come later at the um, bye week break. So then the Bears come to town. They beat them 27-14. Uh, go to Washington and lose. You know, that was a tipped up pass by Mariota. You know, he just didn't take care of the ball. And uh, uh, nine interception, and, and that was one of them. Also, you know, you were in the shotgun on the, in the goal line situation, which, you know, we've talked about a lot at nauseum. Steelers, uh, 1916, um, Drake London uh, had a, um, you know, that's kind of where we saw the frustration on the uh, sidelines on people, on the, the receivers not getting the, not getting catchable balls off of Mariota would be his last game also as they headed into the bye week and they come back and Desmond Ritter's the starter against the Saints in New Orleans. So they put him in some tough spots and Lost that game 21-18. Uh, Baltimore played in the frigid cold. It was 20 degrees up there and uh, lost that one 17-19. Uh, came home and, uh, you know, they're eliminated at Baltimore. And, uh, you know, could have, you know, if you finished, uh, what would it have been, 5-12. and 12, I'll see that where that is when we go over the draft order. But they won the last two games that didn't mean anything and hurt their draft status, you know, but they didn't care about that. So they dropped from probably 4 to, to 8 is where they ended up at. And, you know, um, they were at 8 last year too as they finished 7 and 10. So 20-19 over the Cardinals and then 30-17 over the Bucks, playing most of their backups. But th that's the wrap-up. The Falcons 7-10 and 10 in a bizarre season. It's a lot of uh, quirkiness going on. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of 13 one-game scores. They're 5-8. and eight. They won six games at home. Um, when you get better players, you can get out of that one-game rut. You're going to have to beat some people. And uh, they, they are still on their way to where they have a team that could just go out on the field and, and play football and beat people. And, uh, uh, you know, but some things happen this year. You got a running back, Tyler Argier. We'll go over some offensive stats here. Uh, he uh, finished with 1,035 yards and three touchdowns. Corderell Patterson had eight touchdowns, uh, ran for both of them averaged over four carry, 4'9 and 4'8. 
So that was pretty good. Uh, Mariota averaged 5.2 when he was um, running. Caleb Huntley averaged over 4.8. So those are all your key backs, and they all are over for a carry. That was the one thing the Falcons did elite this year was running the football. Avery Williams was over 4 point a carry at 5.0. So those are your main backs. And uh, enough can't be said for uh, Parker Hesse and Keith Smith, who kind of played a tight end, fullback, H-back thing. Did a lot of blocking for these backs. So uh, the line and the H-back fullback tight ends did a good job too. So got to give your tip your hat to the run game for the Falcons. Now, Drake London finished as the top receiver, 72 catches for 866 yards, four touchdowns. Alameda Zacchaeus was second with 40 for 533 and three touchdowns. Uh, we got uh, McCole Pruitt with four touchdowns. He came on strong down the stretch with Kyle Pitts out, uh, and Kyle Pitts had two touchdowns. So those are your receivers and runners. The overall offensive stats, um, the Falcons uh, finished 24th in total offense, 318 yards, 318.6. They were third in rushing, averaging 159.9 a game. That's something you could build on moving forward, so that's good. Now they got to build out their passing game, which uh, we saw um, Desmond Ritter go down the field in the Tampa Bay game uh, repeatedly and with some success. Had a 40-yarder to Drake London. Missed him a couple times. Uh, Drake got mauled on one that he should have caught, but the guy tackled him. No flag, but, you know, uh, that'll be something to look at moving forward. And then they were also in the top half of the league and points scored at 21.5 a game. So you could build on that. Time of possession, 29 minutes and 48 seconds. So that was pretty good. Also, another offensive stat. Third downs, they were 41-84, which was 10th in the league. So that's good. That should, you shouldn't regress there. You should get better on that with a better passing attack. But Buffalo is number one at 50.26, so you're not that far from the top. Now, defensively, you know, the rankings weren't that good, but let's look at some individual stats first. The leading tacklers were Rashawn Evans at 159, Richie Grant at 122, Michael Walker at 107, Jalen Hawkins at 82, Troy Anderson 61, Grady Jarrett 61 from tackle. From that's that's a lot of tackles for your tackle there. And uh, he also had six sacks, 12 tackles for loss, 17 quarterback hits. So uh, the team finished with 21 sacks and 10 interceptions. And uh, one of the, the free agents – uh, in addition to Evans, uh, Lorenzo Carter, let's just look at his stats. He had 58 tackles, four sacks, one interception, six tackles for loss, 12 quarterback hits, and one fumble recovery. And he had the touchdowns there, too, off of the block punt and the Rams game. And then he had another touchdown there. But I think one of the reasons they'll bring him back is he played in all 17 games. And his missed tackle rate with the Giants last year was 13.8%. And he got that all the way down to 1.7%. So he's a Simon Sure. Yeah, you like some more explosion numbers in the sack and hit game. 
Uh, but he's where he's supposed to be, and he's making tackles. He wasn't missing tackles. So, um, you know, that that should uh, uh, bode well for Andrew. He's represented by Joel Siegel, Michael Vick's old agent. So uh, we'll, I'm sure he'll keep us in the loop on Lorenzo Carter's situation. I got a few more defensive things. You know, Dean Pease vowed to change the culture. Let's give their numbers. You know, the defense didn't finish in the top half of the league in anything. Uh, total yards, 362.1, which was 27th. Rushing yards, 130.2, which was 23rd. Passing yards allowed, uh, 231.9, which was 25th. And then points, 22.7, which was 23rd. Everything was in the lower half of the league. But when Coach P spoke to us, he uh, pointed out that the defense had gotten better in his mind. In uh, the last nine games, he thought they really uh, started to put their foot down a little bit better. And he said they averaged 315 yards a game and 19.7 points a game uh, over those last nine, which would be fifth in the league right now. But, you know, he said, unfortunately, that's not how we get to do it. The first eight games had to count, too. Then uh, he went, he noted that they went from 28th in the league in red zone defense to 14th. And we heard a lot of talk about the four-point swing of uh, stopping a touchdown and making them go for field goals. So those are your defensive numbers. And uh, we're going to go to the draft order and then take a break here. That's what we have down. The Chicago Bears will go one, Houston two, Arizona three, Indianapolis four. And this is um, where we, if the Falcons would have lost the two games they didn't need to win, they would have been slotted right here at the fifth pick. That's where Denver is. So they would have been in the top five. But, you know, what's the difference between five and eight? Should be a good player there, but that might be a drop-off right around five or six, so we'll see how it goes. And that's Denver, which is traded to Seattle, so Seattle will get that pick. And then six was the Rams, which is traded to Detroit. So Detroit uh, will get to add there. And uh, what you look at for the Falcons, and then the Raiders, and then the Falcons. So what you look at for the Falcons is, hey, who's going to take quarterbacks? Uh, And I think they're going one, two, and or maybe not one. They like Justin Fields up there. They'll stay with him. But definitely two, three, they just gave Murray all that money. The Colts have to go quarterback, too, maybe. So, you know, maybe C.J. Stroud's going there and Bryce Young to Houston. And then uh, Will Levis might go to Denver at five. So the quarterbacks, if the Falcons wanted to get in the quarterback pool, they got to get up into the top five. Uh, if they're fine with Desmond Ritter moving forward, then they just sit at eight. And so we'll see how that unfolds in the offseason. Now right behind the uh, Falcons is the, the rest of the NFC South. The Panthers are ninth, Saints are tenth. And then just let's just go through the top 16 and, you know, we'll have the whole 32 later. But that's all we need to do for now is just pay attention to the top 16 if they want to go back or go up. So after the Saints, you got the Titans, then the Cleveland Browns pick at 12, which is traded to Houston, Deshaun Watson trade. Uh, the Jets, 13th, Patriots, 14th, Packers, 15th, and the 16th pick, the Washington Commanders. So that's your draft order here uh, for the Falcons. They, uh, you know, only 
losing the winning the two meaningless games dropped them from a four or five, which ended up being a five, to um, the eighth pick. So it didn't like drop them all the way to fourteen or fifteen, which you know some of the Tankathon fans were um, upset about. So with that, we're going to take a break. This is the Bowtie Chronicles from the Atlanta Journal Constitution. Ocean breeze, tropical beach. An air freshener can make your car smell like paradise. A drive to Daytona Beach will actually get you there. Beach on. Plan your trip today at DaytonaBeach.com. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right, we're back here at the Bowtie Chronicles podcast, episode 383. And look back on the 2022 season. We're going to hear from safety Eric Harris on if he knew Dean Pease was going to retire. You know, Dean, he has a poker face. So uh, nobody really kind of knew what was going to happen. Um, but I, it all it all makes sense, you know. Um, if you watch him and his career and everything, just how well he's done and everything. And obviously, you know, he came back out of retirement and everything um, to help Art and, and, and get a culture set here. And I think he's done a really good job with that. Now, Harris was one of the veterans brought in to help the young players uh, be professional. You know, he spoke to the team after the DeMar Hamlin situation, you know, pulled out his Bible and went for it in the team meeting. Well, respect it. Still played a lot on special teams for him. So, you know, you, you like your older guys. Uh, you know, if you're going to be a leader, you got to play some. And they, uh, I don't know if they're going to keep him around another year or not. But a uh, good guy. And he wanted to, um, we checked in with him on the culture that's being built here in Atlanta. Um, I think I think the culture has kind of been set, you know, as far as what they expect and everything like that. The, um, the record doesn't reflect that um, as far as the, how close of a locker room we are and everything. But um, I think uh, moving forward, this really special group. Well, uh, Lorenzo Carter was a popular Falcon the last week as all the TV stations wanted to talk to him about his Georgia Bulldogs. You know, we didn't have to do that. We just wanted to check in with Lorenzo, see about Dean Pease, and if he wants to stay here, here's what Lorenzo had to say. Thoughts on the retirement of Dean Pease and stuff? Yeah, it's, it's been an honor just to have a chance to work with a coach like that with a legendary resume and just an even better personality. Um, he taught us a lot just from mindset, like, when, when it's time to go, we got to go. And, I mean, I appreciate it, everything he's done for us all year. And then, uh, Bob, coming back next year, would you want to come back or are you just going to let the business take care of itself? Yeah, I mean, this is home. So, of course, you know, I red and black all day. But, I mean, we're, we're going to let that let that shake itself out. Hopefully we get some news <laughs> and 
to stay home, but it's, it's just exciting just to be able to make it through the year, and I'm enjoying this time, spending with my guys for the last couple hours. <laughs> and do you think the defense, the foundation was laid for, you know, a lot of the players can, you know, you know, had a lot of young people over there yeah. can, you know, improve and the units can get better? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, we set the tone. Um, we let people know that this is it. We aren't a pushover defense, and we weren't just going to fold and let people do what they wanted to do. So, I mean, we set. I feel like we set a good foundation, and we showed the young guys how to how to play the game the right way and work hard. Well, Young Waku is uh, clutch again this year. He's also the ping pong champ in the locker room, but he wasn't playing today, so we were able to get with Koo on. And, and check with him from the special team's perspective on how they did this season. Here's Young Way Koo, the Falcons kicker. Uh, how do you feel the season win and uh, what, what's it like, uh, uh, you know, as y'all seem to be building a, to, you know, for the future here? Yeah, I mean, you know, it always can be better. It always can be worse. Um, just going to keep working and try to get better. Mm-hmm. What were some of the takeaways for you, for you all, the specialists this year, uh, Got Bradley and uh, Lim as new people in and into the operation. Yeah, I mean, it's a new group, but um, the process doesn't change. Um, no matter who's in there, um, it's new people or same people, you know, we just go back to work and try to improve every time. Mm-hmm. And any thoughts on getting your, uh, you know, I think it was the fifth game winner, a couple games back this season, and showing the consistency that they wanted to get at that position? Yeah, I just, just, just try to do my job um, and you know, for the team and help the team. So um, just going back to working and, um, you know, whether I make make the kicks or miss the kicks, just go back to work. And um, just one last thing. Uh, coach was saying the 7-10 and 10 team last year, this one seems different. It looked like, you know, what's your sense of, uh, you know, 7-10 and moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I think we're building something special here. And then uh, we're, we're a young team. And um, mm-hmm. I think um, – we have a bright future, so I'm excited for that. Last person we're going to hear from from the Atlanta Falcons today is left tackle Jake Matthews. We wanted to, uh, you know, the Falcons ran the ball this year. They got to put the passing game in. They got the weapons. They've been getting them in the draft. You know, London, Pitts, you know, they got to get another receiver and bring him along uh, and then keep, you know, decide if they're going to keep Alameda Zacchaeus. But, uh, yeah, they got to – this offseason, can't let the running game slip, but then you got to build out the passing game. You got to get more than 158, 59 yards a game. We didn't end up where we wanted to be, obviously, not making the playoffs and whatnot. Um, but we set goals for ourselves this year, and I think it – you know, we kind of proved that, you know, we have the ability to run the ball, and um, we're kind of building something here that, you know, is, is going to be a winning culture. So, um, you know, there's a lot to be – you know, to look back on and, and, and feel good about as an offensive line. So we'll keep building on that, and um, you know, I think we got a bright future. And uh, just the rookies, uh, you know, the influx of um, you know, Drake, London, Algier, and Ritter, they all played and was all on the field at the end of the season. Yeah. Uh, does that bode well for the unit in the future? No, I think those guys are all key pieces to our offense, and they, they all showed – you know, they, they can play in this league and, and be really effective, too. So, um, got nothing but respect for those guys and the way they came to work, especially being rookies. You know, it's a long season. It can be a grind. But um, they showed up and worked just as hard as everyone else and, and contributed and did a good job for our offense. So, we're looking forward to expecting a lot from them in the future, you know. The potential 
Unrestricted free agents for the Falcons are Lorenzo Carter, Caleb McGarry, Alameda Zacchaeus, Isaiah Oliver, Rashad Evans, and we talked to all those guys, and everybody wants to come back. But, you know, if you get a big deal on the open market, maybe you don't come back. Punter Bradley Pinion, fullback Keith Smith wants to come back. Eric Harris wants to come back. Uh, Demir Bird, Jermaine Fetty, Mike Ford, Anthony Fersker, Elijah Wilkinson, Vincent Taylor, Bo Brinkley, the long snapper who missed all year. Corderell Hodge, he wants to come back. It won't be, it won't cost them a lot to get these guys back, the ones they want to keep. Uh, Nick Kawatowski, McCole Pruitt, uh, Jalen Johnson, uh, late ad at tackle. He uh, was playing pretty good in there. Kobe Gassett, valuable. Uh, third string left guard this year. Was well, started out at second string, but it ended up at third. Uh, Matt Dickerson, veteran, you know, low defensive end. Cost much there. Chuma Adoga, the tackle, uh, played at guard here. Uh, Abdullah Anderson played a lot along the defensive line. Uh, Liam McCullum. Liam is the long snapper. Rashawn Fenton is the cornerback they signed. Uh, traded for from Kansas City. Tried to see if he can come in and help him out. He ended up being inactive for most of the year. Now, free agent-wise, Spot Rack has some market value numbers for what it's going to cost a couple of the free agents. And this is not big, so it's not going to kill all of the money and keep them from going after free agents. McGarry's uh, projection by them is a four-year market value projection. It's four years, $70.9 million. Alamaze Zacchaeus is two years, $7.5 million. And Rashawn Evans is two years, four four point five average, nine million. So that'll be a good bump for him. He doubled his salary pretty much because he made he played for one point seven five this year. Uh, now the only wild card is they if they go to the open market and get a substantially better deal. But yeah, these are the comps they use comps for each player and each player's production, and uh, that's what how they come up with the market value for the players. All right, so let's go to the off-season calendar, and uh, then we'll get you ready for the playoff weekend. Okay, our first date, off-season date, is uh, January the 16th. That's the last day for a special eligibility deadline, the deadline for college players who are underclassmen to apply for special eligibility to the draft. A list of the underclassmen who have been approved for entry into the 2023 NFL Draft will be sent to clubs on January the 20th. Okay, that's the first date. Next date is February 4th, Senior Bowl. And all the, um, you know, reporting the week before that will be down in Mobile for the two practices. And uh, we'll usually come on back and watch the game here. After that, then you got the this, this Super Bowl. Um, the next business date here is February the 21st. That's the beginning at 4 p.m. That's when clubs can designate franchise or transition players. I don't think they have anybody for either of those this year. That's the one. That's the date for if Baltimore hasn't done anything with Lamar Jackson, they can go and throw the franchise tag on him. That's going to hurt their cap long term, though, until they get a deal. 
And then the combine is set for February the 28th through March the 6th at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. And then on uh, March the 7th, you have your um, the deadline for clubs to designate the franchise and transition players. On March the 13th through the 15th is your legal tampering period. And that's when um, the teams kind of set the parameters with the agents on what the deals are going to look like. And that's really done a week before at the combine. And then they just formalize it. Uh, it keeps some of the executives out of the way of the agents at the combine. They can focus on looking at the players. But um, it used to always happen at the combine. But now they got the whole legal tampering period where they can put the numbers to paper and, and at least have the negotiations. It says clubs are permitted to contact and enter into contract negotiations with the certified agents of players who will become unrestricted free agents. So... That's our first sign of where we'll start hearing names about who the Falcons or after. Um, thinking they're going to be going defensive linemen. Uh, we'll see who the biggest, baddest defensive linemen are out there and uh, make sure we contact their agents to see if we um, are uh, correct in uh, the assessment here. So during the above two-day negotiating periods, UFs, UFAs, unrestricted free agents, who is not represented by a NFL certified contract advisor, is permitted to communicate directly with a new club's front office officials, excluding the head coach. Okay, then the official league year starts on March the 15th. Uh, that's when the cat Falcons get all their cap money back. They get out of cap uh, salary cap jail on March the 15th. Okay, the annual league meeting. And then the league... First day of the league year is March the 15th uh, at 11.59 and 59 seconds. New York time on March 15th. Clubs will receive a personal notice that will include all transactions submitted to the league office during the period between 4 p.m. New York time and 11. March the 26th, the annual league meeting will be in Phoenix. Uh, and then we're on to April and clubs that have hired a new coach, they can uh, begin their off-season workouts on April the 3rd. And then uh, the Falcons' date will be April the 17th. That's when clubs with returning head coaches may begin off-season workout programs. All right. And then the next big thing, uh, April, is the end of the month. I'm going to skip these other these deadlines. Uh, Rider first refusal, the testing for drafted people, and so forth. But the draft is at the end of April. Draft is April the 27th through the 29th in Kansas City. Yeah, draft is in Kansas City. So that gets us, um, you know, the first leg of the offseason underway. Uh, you know, that'll after that, then you start getting into OTAs in May and uh, rookie minicamp, then minicamp, and then break, and then back. Then we're back here in July for training camp. So, but that's the business part of the season, the offseason. That's what the Falcons is going to be a busy offseason. So that's why I wanted y'all to get the calendar together. You shouldn't be worrying about the draft right now. You should be worrying about free agency. Who are they going to keep? Who are they going to sign? That's going to tip off your hand on which way they got to go in the draft. So pretty sure they're going to sign a veteran quarterback. Mark Bradley wrote about that in the uh, AJC this morning uh, or yesterday. And so, uh, and then we're looking at Tannehill out of Tennessee. What's going to happen there? 
but it's going to be a very busy offseason for the Falcons, and we're looking forward to covering it for you all. So with that, uh, oh, one more thing. we got to do the playoffs. Get y'all ready for Super Super Wild Card Weekend. All right, the playoffs, Super Wild Card Weekend schedule. Um, and I like the Monday night game. We get an extra Monday night uh, with this new setup that they went to in 2020 with uh, seven teams. So Seattle at San Francisco at 4.30. So get your chores done. I know I got some. I'm going to try to trim some bushes on Saturday. And um, uh, But by 4.30, I'm going to be ready for Seattle at San Francisco. Then uh, you got um, the AFC game that night. Want to see that? Uh, I didn't know my man Corey Peters was with Jacksonville, so good luck to him. But uh, the Chargers are at Jacksonville at 8.15 on NBC. And then on Sunday, we Miami and Buffalo at 1 o'clock. Then the Giants and uh, at Minnesota at 4.30. And then the night game, Baltimore at Cincinnati. So that's the old AFC matchup, AFC North. And then the Monday game is Dallas at Tampa Bay at 8.15. The Monday closeout super, super, what is it called? Super wild card weekend with that Monday night game against the Cowboys and Tampa Bay. And um, I was watching uh, Steve Renee and the guys today. They're already saying the coach is gone. If they stunk it up in Washington, they're going to lose to Brady. It's all Dak's fault. Coach Herman saying, hey, they got to run the ball. Don't let this guy... Try to throw with Brady. He can't do it. You got to get him out the pocket. So, hey, they're already uh, beating that cowboy drum uh, on the on the TV shows and so forth. So, I'm just going to call these playoffs the Kansas City Invitational because that's what it looks like. Uh, of course, the Bengals can get hot and get back again to uh, overcome the fact that they, they won't have a home game in the uh, championship round if they would have won the number one seat. Buffalo is going to be a tough out. And the NFC looks like San Francisco is playing the best. So uh, a San Francisco-Kansas City rematch would be um, in order. That's what we're going to call it right now. San Francisco and Kansas City, uh, they played in Miami right before the pandemic hit. And uh, Jimmy G missed wide open receivers. And uh, that kind of started Kyle Shanahan's search for a new quarterback that's still ongoing. And Brock Purdy's at the controls right now, former Iowa State kid who's looking good on his rollouts and everything that you got to do in Cal's offense. So, yep, I'm calling it right here. Kansas City and San Francisco will make it through the maze. Watch out for Buffalo and Cincy in the uh, AFC. And in the NFC, I'm worried about the old guy, <laughs> number 45. That's uh, that He can be a problem. He can beat Dallas, no question about it. Uh, Giants be good to see them back. I don't trust Kirk Cousins, so I don't I don't think they're legitimate title contenders. So um, you know I think it's Brady and the 49ers in the NFC, and then in the AFC you're looking at at uh, Kansas City, Buffalo, and Cincinnati. And we're just gonna call it the Kansas City Invitational slash Super Bowl playoffs, and the NFL can call it the NFL Super Bowl Wild Card Weekend. So with that, I know that was a lot. Um, for the first one after the end of the season, but we're going to hear from GM Terry Fontenot and Coach Arthur Smith tomorrow on Wednesday. Um, you know, hopefully they, uh, you know, will 
They'll effort, um, you know, we, we kind of got the framework of how the offseason is going to go down. Hopefully, I'll fill in some blanks for us on that also. So, with that, hey, we're going to get out of here and we're going to uh, let you get ready for Super Bowl wildcard weekend and get ready for um, our extra edition of the Bowtie Chronicles podcast this week. Be up on Friday. From, uh, we'll be hearing from the general manager, Terry Fontenot, and head coach, Arthur Smith. So, take care and have a great rest of your week. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com.